0: If you want to get excellent, become excellent at something, you, it means you have to spend a lot of hours and the, the, the marginal gains, the, the, the sort of returns on every extra hour spent on something where you're already deep into is necessarily going to decrease over time. Um, but if you spend, uh, let's say two or three hours, uh, learning or doing something activity X, and then the next hours you spend, I don't know, doing something else, which is, maybe related or not, but um, it's also entertaining that you will bring in more energy, you will learn more and, and your, your learning curve will be steeper um, because there's just much more to explore. And that leads you to the second strategy, which is you try to be in the top 15 or top 20, but in two or, or more fields and, and you become the expert at combining these. Welcome back to How
1: It's Med and specifically MedTech Talks, the series where we talk with people who are leading uh, the the formation of the future of health tech and healthcare. Today we have with us Dr. Sven Youngman. Um, he's a man of many hats. He makes card games. He's also a doctor. He's, he also works with uh, health tech startups that deal with data. I'm not sure what else he does. He probably does a million other things that I don't know. But Sven, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself um so that we can, you know, get started.
0: Hi people and uh, and hi uh, thanks so much for inviting me. Um I look forward to this. Uh, I'm Sven. I'm a medical doctor from Germany. Uh, worked clinically for a couple of years, but realized during my studies already that I wouldn't grow old on the bedside because I felt, uh, a lot of things are too inefficient. And, uh, we, we solve, we spend too much time solving problems that should never be there in the first place. Um, and so fast forward a couple of years now, I work mostly in tech, um, mm-hmm. which, which, uh, you know, is called corporate venture building. So we work at the intersection between startups, uh, and established corporations. We can talk more about that later if you like. Um So I do everything from building new apps uh, to um, helping a, a retail pharmacy chain from Kuwait to uh, to go online with their products uh, in a direct-to-consumer healthcare concept. Uh, as you said, uh I took a keen interest in gamification and how that could, uh, change medical education. So the first thing is an offline card game. Things don't always have to be digital, I think, um, but there's more to come. Um, including some digital things. Uh, And the thing I'm I'm most passionate about at the moment is um, together with some Russian engineers, uh, we're building a device that um, uses lasers to detect what's going on in your breath and to find biomarkers, quantify them, and then uh, help um, identify diseases from cancer to COVID, et cetera. um, that's that's what's currently under development. So here's the
1: most important question. Do you have more than 24 hours in a day? Because that sounds like (laughs) much much too much for one human to do in in the span of 24 hours every day.
0: Cheers. Uh, so th- th- there's a secret to it. And one is uh, working together with uh, really smart people who are highly self-driven mm-hmm. uh, and who have very different competencies, but are able to interface with people who have yet again different uh, yeah. skills. Uh, so that's how you can leverage your own impact and, um, uh, and sort of create a stronger output together. Um, and the second thing is, um, I think there's always this mantra where people tell you, you know, stay focused on one thing and do that really well, and then life will be great. Um, but it turns out, I think, especially in, in today's world, um, there's a lot to be said about transferable skills and of working at the intersection of things. So uh, surprisingly, something I learned when I'm creating this game teaches me a lot that I can bring in in another space where people are very surprised. Uh but I only know because I just made this experience in a different field and, and so you, you 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 end up repurposing the every hour you spend because of the learnings you made, you know?
1: That's fascinating. So I mean sorry my cats here, I'm just gonna I'm gonna put him down. You've seen him like crawl into screen <laughs> at least three times during the time we've chatted so far. It's a... uh <laughs> this is Goose, by the way. Uh, hi Goose. He says hi back. Anyway, so I, I think that you know what you pointed out there is really interesting because um, you, you mentioned that working at the intersection of different fields is, you know, really applicable. State I've always been told that it's most important to focus on one thing, but you don't seem to you don't seem to follow that convention.
0: Where did that start? So it's uh, well, first, I mean, I think this assumption is fallacious uh, for starters. So there's a cognitive answer to what you just said. Uh, and the second part is, um, it's also personality type. So if somebody really likes, uh, I don't know, or knee replacements, and that's the one thing they want to do in their life, that's great. And we need these people and, and stick to it. But don't tell other people that they should be the way you operate, because that's not how other people's brains work necessarily. And uh, from a strategic point of view, so if you want to be truly excellent in the sense that nobody can uh, annoy you, kick you out of your career, you can you can have like off-scale wealth because of it. And you know, you're the you're the king, um, you, you have two options. Either you try to be really good in one thing, but that means you have to be in the top 2% or something like that. But there are only so many top 2% of something, right? There's not too many LeBron James. There's, there's not too many Bill Gateses and so on. Um, so you're quite limited there. And the second approach is, uh, also it gets really painful and often very boring because you end up sort of going deeper and deeper and deeper. And in in the business world, people always talk about what is your marginal cost and your marginal gain? So, you know, your your first ice cream, if it's hot, you might really enjoy it. The second one might still be great. But if somebody offers you 10 scoops of ice cream, you would probably be like, mate, uh, you could give me money and I wouldn't eat it. Right. So speak for yourself, Ben, come on. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Sorry. Um, it's cold out here at the moment. So maybe that's it's negative. Um, Okay. never mind. Um, I don't even know how much it is over here. Anyway um so uh, the the point is um if you want to get excellent, become excellent at something you yeah. it means you have to spend a lot of hours and the 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 marginal gains the, the the sort of returns on every extra hour spent on something where you're already deep into is necessarily going to decrease over time um but if you spend uh let's say two or three hours uh, learning or doing something activity X and then the next hours you spend I don't know doing something else which is maybe related or not, but um, it's also entertaining that you will bring in more energy, you will learn more and and your your learning curve will be steeper um, because there's just much more to explore. And that leads you to the second strategy, which is you try to be in the top 15 or top 20, but in two or or more fields and and you become the expert at combining these. So uh, a prominent guy who did that is the Dilbert cartoonist, right? He says, I'm not the funniest guy on earth. I'm not the best painter or anything. There's the cat again. Got a lot of cats for that. Uh, um, so not the be- best painter, not the best comedian on earth, and-, and also not the best business person, but knows enough about all of these three and is skilled enough in them to create really, really remarkable cartoons that get shared over and over again and tell a story that people can really relate to in the business world, right? So mm-hmm. he-, he is an example of somebody who did that. And I once had a patient, who uh, was a nuclear physicist, and he said to me, he was in mid-war peace, Uh, He said to me, you know, everybody told me if I become the best in Germany uh, with sort of nuclear energy and all of it, um, nobody's ever going to always have a beautiful life. And then suddenly we had Fukushima and Merkel, our uh, chancellor decides we're going to exit nuclear energy right now. And he said, look, I'm 45. Uh, It's not like I'm just going to now switch becoming excellent at solar energy or something like that and compete against all the 24-year-olds who just did their masters in just that. So I'm out, right? And I, I'm not going to leave to another country because my family is here. And so on. But he had like a strategic lock-in by over-focusing on this one thing, uh, which then turned out not to be so relevant anymore. And mm-hmm. if you have several things in it, then you can switch faster, right? So what I did for myself, long story and short conclusion, is sort of being at the intersection of understanding evidence-based healthcare, combined with business, combined with digital, uh makes me one of a few in... At my country, or in Europe, and therefore I get a lot of interest. Um, but whenever I work with some people, I'm learning something that is important for these other people, and uh, and that's great. But it's also something that works for my personality and for how my brain works. So that I think that that's something where I can't generalize that recommendation. But I certainly think that people should be encouraged to go beyond this traditional way of you have to have this one career and you need to be excellent in this one thing.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I think that. You know you you're that that's a convincing case that you've made. But I want to hear your story. We talked a little bit offline previously about how when you were younger, um you had an interest in special forces. So how did that well, t- tell us that story and how that led <laughs> you to a medical career?
0: yeah. so uh, I don't know. I never wanted to study. I ended up uh, having I don't know four degrees or something like that. that, that's, uh,
1: that isn't that ironic?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that's, uh, here's, here's to, uh, reinventing oneself, right? And, and, uh, uh, not sticking to, uh, fixed opinions, I suppose, right? Um, I was, I, I loved the military because I felt you can really have a, a clear impact. Yeah. Uh, it's very public, it's very honest. Guns don't lie. Um, and, uh, and sort of, I, I like being outdoors and, uh, the adventure and so on and so on. And I, both wanted, I wanted to join special forces. So before I committed to actually, it's sort of 12 years in Germany. If you want to study and become an officer, it includes a couple of years of studying, but then you're basically, you're signed up until your thirties to be in the army. And the problem is that the selection for special forces happens after you studied. If, if, if you're, a, uh, if, if you want to study. Um, and so I thought, Oh God, you know, then i no. uh, I'm buying the, uh, we, we say we're buying the cat in the sack till so you don't really know what you're getting. Uh, and I never wanted to be in something other than this. So, uh, we have this option of doing a two year program where you become a reservist officer. And I did it in the airborne infantry and in a special operations division. Uh, so this was very close to, to the, um, SOF guys. Um, and it gave me a very good, uh, insight. And I loved it. Uh, to be fair, there were a lot of things I hated, but that's the love paid relationship that most soldiers tell you about, I think. Um, and I had a mentor who was a sniper, really spooky guy. Uh, probably nobody really wants to meet, uh, him, but I, I sort of, I wanted to be like him. him. Um, yeah. And then this one day I had a book from, by some, written by some samurai, uh, master and I wanted to sort of learn what it meant to be a warrior. So I looked at a lot of uh, different literature on, on being a warrior. Um, and I, I read it, but I thought he was super stupid. Sort of contradicting himself on every second page. And it was, I don't know, it was really silly. And I, I took notes with my 6B pencil in it and, and criticizing the heck out of this guy, right? So then my mentor comes, pa- uh, walks past me and sees that I'm reading this book. And he said, Oh, of course you are. You know, I've been meaning to read it for a long, long, time. Do you mind if I borrow it? I said, well, of course not. Here you go. You read it, uh, and then he summons me one day and he says, Oh, I've got your book. And I said, Oh, thank you. And he said, no, 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 we need to talk come to my office. So, okay. What's going on now? So I sit down as he asked me to. Um, and he says, I've, I read your book. Thank you for this. Uh, I also read your notes and I came to the conclusion that you're smart for too smart for the army. Um, so I also showed it to the lieutenant and he agreed with me. You know, I know you will love all of this. I know you will love, uh, blowing up doors and. Repelling down helicopters and all of that. Uh, it's great, but uh, trust me, when you turn 30-something, uh, you will realize that this is all way to politicized and that you can't really use the skills you have uh, to the fullest and you can't really have the impact that you that you desire to have. Uh, this has become clear to me now, so I need to recommend to you to, uh, to do something else. I don't know what's out there. I don't know, go study or something. Uh, I've been here since I'm 17. I don't know the world outside. You have to find out. And it, it felt horrible because I sort of, he was my idol. I wanted to be like him. He tells me not to become like him. Um, and has no alternative for me, but I knew it came from a very good place. Uh, so I did that. And then I thought, let's do medicine. Take six and a half years until you're done. So you have enough time to reflect. Um, uh, the special forces obviously doctors. So there's, there's still a, a way back. Uh, and it's also honest. So a lot of the things that I liked about the military, you know, it's impact oriented. It's, it's sincere. Um, uh, no bullshitting on PowerPoint slides. Um, ability to see the world and, and see something that that feels real. Um, that, yeah, that's, that's what, what drew me into medicine.
1: But then you ended up taking a step later on after medicine into the startup field. And I, th- I think a common mm. notion that leads to that step is, uh, I guess, the the person's opinions about scaling. So, what was your first encounter with the notion of scaling?
0: Um, and did that spark your journey into the strata field? Yeah. So I, I think it's always important to reflect on. So what are your epiphany moments? You know, this one thing you I like, ah, okay. Now, nowadays, a before and after, and, and now I see things a little bit different. So I've been chewing on this and I've, I've, I kept seeing in the healthcare space, you know, it's, and it reminded me so much of the military. A lot of things were a bit backward and how we, we, we go about treating people, how we organize the hospitals and. You use old fashioned phones and, you know, it's the lagging behind kind of. Um, and, and actually one of my professors made an, an analogy to the army. He said, um, you know, medicine is kind of like the military. Um, it's always ready for the last war. So next, the next war we do, if it's going to be in Antarctic, uh, we're going to probably all show up in, in, in desert Camo or something like that. So that, that's what he said and he said it's pretty similar in medicine you still have uh, i mean i don't know if you had that but i was asked in an exam to draw acetyl CoA, coenzyme a and no, the formula of it no. and i thought I, I don't actually get why i need to do that like which patient do you think is ever going to be safe from my knowledge of the formula of acetyl CoA? I don't, i don't know um so you have a lot of this 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 rubbish that's one thing uh, and then i, I also thought uh, many of the things could be prevented and I wasn't so clear about this at the time, but uh many of you probably know that uh seventy percent of our health outcomes are, are probably determined by things that have nothing to do with the healthcare system, right? They're determined by your friendships, your work, your education, your nutrition, your lifestyle, um, the environment, etc. 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 and we we don't really touch that. So we leave out a massive potential to to make people healthier. Instead, we throw a lot of meds at them. And I'm not against medication and anything, but I... Just saying like, um, I felt like we're putting out fires that we could prevent from even burning in the first place. And that was incredibly frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I made friends with a pharmaceutical engineer, uh, Andrea from, from Copenhagen, and what, what he did was he was developing new snake and anti-venoms uh, in a really clever way. Uh, I think this is, you should probably interview him too, he's a great guy, but essentially uh, 10% of the costs, uh, lasts much longer, doesn't, doesn't create any anaphylactic reactions. Wow. Um, and it's, it's like it's super easy to produce long, long shelf life, etc., etc. Um, and I thought, you know, after he created this, he could now go sailing for the rest of his life or do, I don't know, whatever silly stuff. He will always save more people than I ever could, no matter how many night shifts I do or how many, you know, weekend shifts or, or whatever I do. And yeah, right. And there's a there's a guy who uh, who captured. I mean, it sounds great as a doctor because it's so palpable. You know, you are with the people, so you feel it. Um, but the the problem I see is that, or somebody somebody said, you have to think about counterfactual life years save. So if you, uh, just with your skills, uh, suddenly step out and you do something in the engineering space, or I don't know, become a multi millionaire and donates wisely or whatever so if you take an, another parallel life as the same person or something else, and the same motivation to really help people what's the counterfactual life years that you could save and somebody said well you're, you're probably as a doctor on average you're helping six or seven people more than if you would be doing something else but your chances of doing something that's much much more influential um if you step out of the one-to-one patient care and do something scalable Sort of this, this potential is also much greater. Um, if, if you do it right. And so I think like if as a doctor, you say, Oh, I want to do this to help people, then you have to have this hard conversation with yourself. If you're really in the best place at the bedside doing this and I, we know we need people who do it, but from an individual perspective, I think it's important to, um, to challenge if, if you're in the right space, if, if you really want to have an impact.
1: That's really interesting. So did you take that attitude into your education? Uh, with like public health, public policy, and business, or mm. did you form that perspective as you gained that education?
0: So that's, uh, that was actually uh, people I met in Oxford. Uh, There's this movement called Effective Altruists, which you can also criticize from a philosophical standpoint. But their, their core tenets is, if you want to simplify it, quite utilitarian. They say, okay, if you say you're in the game of helping people, You have a moral obligation of doing it in in sort of in a way that you touch as many lives as possible and or have the biggest impact as possible then just doing a little bit is not enough Um, and and that got me thinking a lot and it was very much in line with also you know when the guy at the military told me uh you will not be able to live up to your potential that's not something that at that time i considered i thought but i want to kick in doors you know i want to jump out of airplanes with a night vision goggle on that's what i want to do and it's cool that i can have an impact but this guy said, no, actually, there's going to be a delta between what you can achieve and, and what you will achieve. And, mm. and I don't want you to have that. So that's when I started to think about, I need to, to, to keep this delta small. Right. And that's yeah. something that always followed. So then,
1: I mean, you, you ended up, I guess, at Oxford as, as one of the schools or one of the, um, I guess pieces of education that you ended up taking on, but you went back to medicine afterwards. What motivated mm. that decision? and what
0: motivated your decision afterwards to get out? Oh, nice. So um, that was 2013, and then I finished Oxford 2014. Um, mm-hmm. And at that time, I still felt that the best way to have a big impact with a medical background, I thought at that time, uh, would be going into public policy. So WHO or International Committee of the Red Cross, or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I did my master thesis at the European Commission uh, in a health project on digital health, actually. And I loved it, but I also realized same story, very politicized. You can't really, uh, you know, phrase things in, in a clear way. Uh, so one example was that I, I wrote, um, when we, it's good to, to drive digital health, but we have to be careful because, you know, there might be people who are not able to, to use it and we don't want to disconnect them from the healthcare system. So we have to have different things in place. And then I added without thinking about it. I added um, this could especially affect people uh, who are maybe a bit older and not digitally native and people who live in rural areas. And that created quite an outrage because apparently I was stigmatizing people and they already saw complaints coming from some, I don't know, interest groups and so on. So we had to add like a big paragraph saying, oh, we don't mean to say that um people living in rural areas are necessarily less digital." Uh, connected on the contrary there are very beautiful cases of towns that blah 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 and the same also for the old people who blah 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 and then i thought okay but we just watered it down so much that we end up saying nothing so we just put ink on paper that's it um and and that's how politics work but i I've, i felt or at least how public sector works and i thought okay no not for me um and then at the time it was not like you have a million startups and it's not that long ago, really. It's like, we're like talking seven or eight years, right? Yeah. Uh, but you didn't have like a lot of startups saying, Oh, we need a medical doctor working in digital, uh, for this and this, which these days you find fairly often. Uh, so there has been a, a strong acceleration. Um, but then I thought, I, I need to take this kind of Hollywood approach. So if you want to be an actor, go where they are most likely to, to, to discover you and, and then maybe go to Hollywood, right? In my case, um, a bit more abstract, but uh, well, I decided to go to Berlin because I knew there's a big startup scene. Um, I decided to go to Helios, uh, which is uh, Europe's largest private hospital provider, and they they made their money by buying hospitals and optimizing them. But then there was no interesting hospital left to buy. So I thought they still need to grow, hence they will go to digital. So that, that was my second positioning strategy. And then I always wanted to be a surgeon, but I thought let's do uh, lung diseases because if you look at the WHO top 10 killers, um, mm. or the biggest drivers of the global burden of disease, then it's first and foremost, internal medicine mostly. And secondly, uh, quite a, quite a few, I think two or three, um, are respiratory diseases, COPD and lung cancer and so on. Mm-hmm. And then you have some cardiology, but that's also part of what you learn. So I thought this is where I have the biggest, uh, synergies that I can harness if I go type plus. Uh, as evidenced by COVID, um, I thought if you, if you have an erogenous germ uh, that very quickly takes up a public policy uh, uh, dimension too, which I was trained in. So I thought let us find something where I have the biggest, you know, the, the the biggest overlap. So it goes back to what we discussed earlier, you know, with the uh, intersection of different skills. Um, and I just felt that it was really important, even though I knew I wouldn't grow old uh, on at the core phase of medicine. I felt it was very important to um to get this practical experience, you know. And it's not just about the medical knowledge of how do you treat a heart attack or something. It's about truly understanding the dynamics between nurses, patients, uh therapists, doctors and the relatives and the frustrations of I don't know, having to make phone calls to get a patient to another hospital at night if you're this completely full and you know, like all of that. And and also to be honest, uh it, it you get you're heard differently by your doctor colleagues and mm-hmm. a lot of what i do is interfacing with them uh, when i when we create something new and um and, and knowing you know what what do they need how how to comfort them to try something new uh how to make it safe for the patients and all of this it, it, it requires this uh yeah deep understanding and also the ability to share war stories quite frankly yeah
1: so it's the ability to like uh communicate in the same language to have the same experiences but if, we, we've had a previous guest uh, on another one of our series who has continued to practice despite her involvement, her serious involvement in a, a rapidly growing uh, materials startup. So why not continue a part-time practice alongside?
0: Yeah, so for me, I, I wasn't given the option. So what happened is that my employer, like I expected, uh, this, this hospital chain, uh, their top management came up to me and said, look, uh, it's time we need to build something in the digital space. We've been trying some initiatives, but we realized we need to do a we need to fully commit. So we're investing in a new company that we're going to set up, and we would like you to be the chief medical officer. And uh, my first reaction was, "Oh, great! So can I do that part time next to my residency?" And I said, "Well, no. Uh, we need you to be committed. We need you to be there full time. We we don't have. To, I mean, we have too much work." Uh, and besides, actually, we don't want you to be too much in the system because it's just going to bias you. We we're the largest hospital chain. We have ten thousand doctors or something like that. <laughs> I love your look. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, they said if if we need any experts, uh, any I don't know, head of cardiology or whatever, we we can get them, All right? Um, so it, it's it's not what we need from you. And indeed, I mean. It, it's not like you're plug and play as a doctor, right? So you you, yeah. you end up in the startup, and there are a lot of things that you don't understand, from finance to like how do you do a product, what is this whole lean stuff, and you can easily read it up, but it doesn't mean that you really understand what it means in practice. Like like same with the medical part. So you will actually, I think, in many cases, have to spend a considerable amount of time uh upskilling and uh, and unlearning um, mm-hmm. some some habits, but I'm, Again, like, I think it depends on who you are and, and what the role is. So I'm not saying that she's doing something that she shouldn't be doing. It probably works really well for her. Uh, in fact, I would argue that we will see a rise of different types of roles of digital doctors. So there will be the, the leader type of, uh, I've written a piece with some of my colleagues about this, right? Well, there's going to be the leader archetype, uh, probably business leader. Uh, um, galvanizing people around an idea that is that is medically sound uh, sounds easy, but it's not. Uh, then there will be the builder, people who who create algorithms or who can build apps or whatever and have a medical background. There will be um, uh, the healer, which are people who are still in the clinic um and and at the same time probably have some digital skills because even even regular patient care will increasingly needs more. Data science and digital skills, etc. And there will be more, right? There might be somebody who's who's an investor and really good at not investing in the next Feranos because they know how to make sense of things, right? But putting money in the right things. Um, and so on. And and there are uh, there are a lot of ways of doing that. Part-time, full-time, or I don't know. Little advisory here and there.
1: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of How It's Made. If you liked what you heard, the best way to support us is to go to your podcast platform, be it Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever you like, and to give us a rating and a recommendation or a comment so that others can best find us. If you can't do that, then we'd really appreciate it if you could share your favorite episode with those that you care about and who you think would find our work interesting. Till next time.